Amen. Thank you, Natalie. That was beautiful. I heard James Dobson years ago say, we can trust him even when we can't trace him. Sometimes we don't know, but it's okay. He does. Sometimes we just have to trust him even when we can't trace him. This morning, the sermon, I've entitled it um, Jesus Seminar on Evangelism. And I'm not going to read, it's uh, verses 1 through 30. I'm not going to read 30 verses for the opening here. But I do want to read verses um, 3 through 10 of John chapter 4. So if you find John chapter 4, if you'll stand in our great God's honor, read the text. When the Lord learned of this, he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Let's pray. Father, we're thirsty. You are the living water, Lord. Give us a sip. How about a good long drink, Lord? Father, just speak for your glory. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The biggest need we all have is the rescue of the Lord, his deliverance, um, his salvation. Whether we know it or not, we're in bondage, and we need to be set free. That's what the scriptures tell us. And Through the years, I've learned a lot of uh, gospel presentations. You know, you have little outlines, and you memorize, or, you know, at least you learn the basic ideas so that you could tell other people this is what it means to be saved and to become a Christian. But what I want to share this morning is not another gospel presentation, not a memorized presentation to share with other people, but rather I want to look at how Jesus shared. And this is a very familiar story if you've been at church any length of time especially some of us uh, for many years, of a woman who was broken. Life did not go as she had planned. A lot of heartache, a lot of disillusionment in this woman's life. And, and what I really want to look at, like I said, instead of a presentation, is how Jesus encountered her. And I think, I think it's pretty powerful stuff. And I think it gives us insight into how we need to encounter people. You know, we use that word lost. Basically, it just means people have no idea. They just have no idea. They're, 
what is life about? Why is this happening to me? Why am I in this situation? You know, people feel forgotten. And, and I want you to, to see how Jesus moved. Uh, back in 1949, there was a guy named John Currier who was convicted of murder. And he was placed in jail on a life sentence. After just a couple of years, he was actually um, moved to a farm outside of Nashville, Tennessee. And John Currier worked there for a number of years. Uh, in 1968, he received parole. And um, there was a letter sent to him, or sent to that farm, to say that John was released. He's completed his sentence, and now he can go home. The only problem was John Courier never got the letter. No one ever sent it to that work camp, and no one ever shared it with him, and so he stayed on for an extra 10 years because he didn't know that he was free. Finally, a state parole officer heard about the letter, found the letter, went there, talked to John Courier, told him he was free, showed him the letter, and John Courier walked out a free man. Now, the question is, do you think that letter mattered to John Courier? Do you think he would have liked to have received that letter earlier? Of course he would. It was good news for John Courier because he's a free man and he didn't even know it. We have good news. People don't understand us. I think many times people look at us church people and say, man, they're kind of snotty. They meet together on Sunday mornings because they're so good. But that's not what it's about. When you meet Jesus, you understand that the only one who is good loved you so much that he took upon himself the punishment that you deserved. That, that's what the good news, that's what the gospel is all about. So how do we deliver that message? Do we just wildly go up to somebody and have our five-minute presentation and lay it on the line and if they don't listen to us, it's their fault and, you know, I've done my job and I'm going to walk away? Is that what we do? Well, I, I hear say, that's not what Jesus did. And I want to look. Uh, he was very simple, but he persevered. And, and basically, I want to look at two things this morning. First, I want to look at his attitude. And attitude makes all the difference. And secondly, I want us to look at his approach, which is a lasting, lingering approach. And so we jump into that. First, let's jump into his attitude. Um, I thought of Proverbs 19.22 that says, What a man desires is unfailing love. Better to be poor than a liar. We really want to know that we are loved. We really want to know that we matter. And a lot of people don't know that. Life can be tough and circumstances can 
just take the wind out of your sails. People are broken and, and they, they don't feel loved. And, and so we need to have an attitude of love. Uh, we need to let people know that, hey, you do matter. God made you. God cares about you. Um, oh, man, last weekend, we have two dogs. You know, I've told you one of our dogs is so old, I don't think she's going to be around more than a year. She's about to hit 19, and she's still hanging on. But anyway, and then our other dog, she's like 11. That's a lot of times like she's real young. Well, we had uh, Matthew, well, actually Atticus's dogs, Matthew and Devin and Atticus, they're two dogs. They have one dog that's a puppy and the other dog that still thinks she's a puppy. She is, I think, maybe two, I don't know. In Anyway, uh, man, these dogs, they are so energetic. I mean, flying around all the time. when they, They're following us all the time, wanting attention all the time. Um, chewed up uh, Cindy's favorite chew. Not good, not good. Um, she was makes dog food for our elderly dog because she's picking what she eats, and they just sat there looking like, look what she's doing for me. I love her. I'm going to get some of that food. I know I am. You know, and we would go, we'd come back, and you know how dogs are. It's like, man, they act like, oh, you forgot me. You're back. I knew you loved me. I knew you would return. You know, and it reminded me of that country song, if you have ever heard the song by Billy Currington called Like My Dog. <laughs> it has a line in the song, it, one of my favorite lyrics, it says, I want you to love me like my dog does. It is so critical for us to be a place where there's love present as the church. Do we have a loving attitude toward lost people? Especially once you've been in the church for a long time, you don't even really remember what it's like to be outside of the church. Because through the mercy of Christ, so you know, hopefully as God's begin to change us, we make choices that aren't so damaging. People without Christ haven't met him. They don't even realize some of the choices they're making are so short sighted and are going to bring so much pain. And, you know, that, that's what occurs. Um, Rebecca Manley Pippert uh, said years ago, we're prone to run around in our holy huddles. And it's so easy to get in your holy huddle, you know. You come to church, you just hang around Christian people. But there are people out there, they look at us like all we do is holy huddles. They don't know what we're like. <laughs> they don't understand. Um, anyway, as we look at this lady, I, I want to just briefly look at this loving attitude first, how his love transcended culture. Now, let's go look first of all at verse 4. It says, now he had to go through Samaria. Now he was going to Galilee. He didn't really have to go through Samaria. There was another road. And actually, the Samaritans and the Jews despised one another. They were not friendly toward one another. The Samaritans had intermarried with people who were not Jews. And the Jews were upset about it. And they just said, you're just a bunch of unclean half-breeds, low-life. You know, many people would not be able to even understand, why would you go through Samaria? 
But Jesus, it says here, he had to go through Samaria. You know why he had to go through Samaria? Because he knew that woman needed a meeting. He knew that woman was, was broken and she needed to encounter love and forgiveness that is found in Christ alone. And so he had an appointment. And you know, it makes me think, guys, before I go on, um, you, you realize following Christ, we get up in the morning and we say, Lord, you alone are worthy to be worshipped. Lord, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know what you're doing. So, Father, I want to surrender to you today. What appointment do you have for me today? Who is it that you want me to meet today? You see, that, that was Jesus. He went to Samaria because there was someone to meet him. He knew where he was going. We don't know where we're going, but we know that he walks with us, and he knows where we need to go. <laughs> and, and so I think it's important for each of us to, to start our day that way. I want you to see these are just a few quotes of how the Jews felt toward the Samaritans. <laughs> uh, quotes from some rabbis. Gentiles are created by God to fuel the fires of hell. Ouch. Right? Here's another one. There is joy in heaven when one sinner is obliterated from off the face of the earth. It makes me think what Jesus said. Remember what Jesus said? Jesus said that there is rejoicing by the angels when a sinner repents. That is the heart of the church. I have been forgiven. Jesus saw me as I really am and he loved me anyway. That is the power of the gospel. Um, and here's another quote. Uh, Lord, do not remember the Samaritans in the resurrection. But that wasn't the attitude of Jesus Christ. He had to go through Samaria because there was a Samaritan woman there who needed to know there's forgiveness and there's love available. All ground is level at the foot of the cross. Listen, this is from Matthew 18. A couple of verses, 12 through 14. Here's what Jesus says. If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, will he not leave the ninety-nine on the hills and go look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he is happier about that one sheep than about the ninety-nine that did not wander off. In the same way, your Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. That's God's heart. He loves everybody. He loves people from all cultures. There is nobody out there that God doesn't love. That is the heart of our God. Um, is there a, a culture, a, a people group you got a bad attitude toward? Sometimes it's hard to be honest and come clean, maybe. Man, we had my neighbors when I was growing up. They were just obviously prejudiced toward black people. And we had some black people move on the other side of us. We had a neighbor over here, the prejudiced people on their side. And man, they made life so miserable for that black family that they ended up moving. That it, it just, it was terrible. To see how, how they were treated. I've told you guys a story many times. I won't spend much time here. but One of my dear friends that I love so much. Man, he was super prejudiced. And the funny thing was he had four daughters. And one married a black. One married a Hispanic. And uh, 
anyway. There's some other stories there. But, man, they got saved. I got to baptize a black guy at the church. First black guy I baptized in the church I was serving at the time. What a great time. And you know what? He loved that guy. They became best friends. It was just so wonderful to see God move, you know. A lot of times we, we don't like each other. You know why? Because we don't know each other. We need to know each other. <laughs> and um, what, is there a group? I encourage you, if there's someone you have a bad attitude, a group you have a bad attitude, pray about it. Ask God to show you what he thinks about them. Uh, Mahatma Gandhi, the great Hindu leader and social worker, you know, he almost became a Christian. He wrote in his autobiography that he was impressed with Christ so much that he decided to go to church to learn more about how to be a Christian, how to become a Christian, baptism, and uh, the ins and outs of Christianity. But when he went to the church, the greeter at the door said, why are you here? We don't want people like you in our church. And so he left, and he never went back to church or considered Christianity. It wasn't because of Christ, it was because of Christians. That was why he made that decision. And he said this in his book. He said, well then, if Christians have caste differences, I might as well remain a Hindu. Do we have caste differences in our hearts where we view one people up here and another group of people down here and we don't see all ground level at the foot of the cross? Jesus didn't. His love transcended culture. Secondly, it transcended gender. Now, boy, in the last uh, decade, that term gender has really changed. And I don't want to get bogged down in all of that. That is not my point. My point is that regardless of how we self-identify, whatever pronouns we may use, all of, you know, like I said, I'm not trying to get bogged down in all that. God loves you. No matter how you see yourself, He sees you. And you matter so much, He died on a cross for you. That is what the good news of Jesus Christ has to offer to us. Listen to uh, <laughs> the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, would ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Our cultures don't match up. You're a man. I, I'm a woman. And Jewish men, they don't talk to women. I cannot believe that you are talking to me. The scripture goes on. Uh, verse 27. Just then his disciples, they returned and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. Why? Because they didn't talk to women. The, the rabbis... They thought that'll take you away from the law. You get distracted if, if you talk to a woman and, and you look at a woman, it'll keep you from understanding the law and set you on the wrong path and you'll never find God. <laughs> Here's a couple of, of quotes from the rabbis of that day. Let a man burn the words of the law rather than teach them to a woman. This kind of attitude persisted. There was a group of Pharisees. This is crazy, but this really happened. They were called the bruised Pharisees. And they should have been known as the bruised and bleeding Pharisees. Do you know why? 
because they didn't want to be distracted. So when they saw a woman, as they're walking down the street, they would close their eyes. Now, I'm not going to do that. I'll fall off this stage and probably hurt myself. So you can imagine what happened. You know, a woman's coming along. And I'm going to be holy. Close his eyes. Bam, walks into a, a, a building. You know, he's, he's bruised and he's bleeding. And to put it today, uh, us guys, we carried that. We couldn't go to any beach, could we? We'd walk out into the ocean and probably be sucked out by the curtain and drowned. But that was the pervasive attitude. We, you don't look on a woman. You don't talk to a woman. That was not Jesus Christ. Jesus was not captured by a wrong culture or by a wrong determination of men and women. He loved all. He didn't listen to the prevailing narrative and talk of the place he lived. He loved her. And he spoke to her. Not only that, he also transcended character. But down to the end of verse 17 and 18, um, or in verse 16, he says, Go, call your husband and come here. And she says, I don't have a husband. Verse 18, The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. He's, what you have just said is quite true, <laughs> Jesus responded. You see, there, there was a reason why she was out in the middle of the day at the well. See, that, that wasn't typical because that was the hottest part of the day. You didn't go out in the hottest part of the day for obvious reasons. Melt out there in the heat, you know. But she was out there because her life was bad relationship after bad relationship after bad relationship. And she felt unloved. She felt unworthy. Her idea of Prince Charming, man, that had crashed and burned. She felt alone. She didn't want to go and meet other people there because she knew people would look at her like, there's that woman, the gossip, the whispering. She did not want any part of that, so she went when no one else would be there. And what I simply want you to notice is Jesus talked to her. <laughs> he didn't. And he knew. He told her about her history. She felt marginalized. Uh, she felt unloved, unwanted. Somebody once said, um, how many prodigals are kept out of the kingdom of God by those unlovely characters who profess to be inside? God forgive the church when we start thinking. I don't know about that one. I don't know about this one. You just don't get the gospel. That's your attitude. None of us deserve His kindness, His forgiveness, His grace. None of us. Jesus transcends. His love transcends all of that stuff. Now, I want to take a little bit of time and look at his approach, this lingering, this loving approach. Um, as you go through this text, she makes these kind of uh, mean 
few smart aleck remarks back to Jesus. Jesus could have responded to that. He could have said, woman, do you have any idea who you're talking to? You know, he could have laid it out there. But he didn't. He was patient with her. Why? Because he knew she was hurting. And Jesus knew hurting people hurt people. And so he just listened to her. And, and I want us to take a little bit of time we've got remaining and look at what he did with this loving, patient approach to her. First thing he did was he appealed to her curiosity. Uh, Psalm 107 verse 9 says, for he, satisfies the hun- for he satisfies the thirsty and fills the hungry with good things. He satisfied her curiosity as he talked to her and as he laid out her life history. And she was really curious about what he had to say. Then in verse 10, he said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. He doesn't say, Hey, I'm the Messiah. It's time for you to get it together, woman. He didn't do any of that stuff. He just said, Hey, if you knew who's talking to you and the living water that's available to you, you wouldn't be worried about me asking you for a drink from this hole in the ground but you'd be worried about asking for a drink of spiritual water that fills the empty hole in your soul to hear from God. It's a statement that got her curiosity. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan, a, a great preacher of the past, uh, this is from Acts chapter 2. And in that chapter, it's talking about the people of Jerusalem and people as uh, God's people spoke as Peter preached and, and all of that. It says that they were amazed and they were in awe of what God was doing. And here's what Morgan says. He says, the trouble too often is that the world is not at all amazed, not at all perplexed because there's nothing to amaze them and nothing to perplex them. The work of the church is to perplex the city and make the city listen, to awaken their need by curiosity. People ought to be able to look at us and say, man, they're not like everybody else. And be drawn to the power of Christ. I love uh, Colossians 4, 6. It says, let your conversation always be full of grace. seasoned with salt so you may know how to answer everyone. Um, is your conversation full of grace? Do you build people up or do you tear people down? What is the mark of your conversation. Secondly, being seasoned with salt. Um, salt's a preservative, but salt also stings and a wound. But are you willing to tell the truth? Are you willing, even when you think people, eh, they're not going to want to hear that, but do they need to hear that? Seasoned with salt. Um, these things matter. All right, secondly, uh, I want you to notice that he appeals to her spiritual craving. In verse 11, he says, The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well's deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? And in verse 13, Jesus answered, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water I shall give will never thirst but the water I shall give will become 
a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. She's thinking, dude, do you think you're greater than our great father Jacob? This was his well at one time. Who do you think you are? But she's got that curiosity. And now she, she is beginning to think, and there's this inner craving in her, and she's thinking, but there's something about this guy, something that he's saying that makes sense to me. He, he's speaking to her soul, that empty place. C.S. Lewis once said, The fact that our heart yearns for something earth can't supply is proof that heaven is our home. The fact that what we look for is so hard here can't be satisfied here proves there's somewhere else. That, that's the heart of God. So be patient with people. Ask them questions. Listen to them. Be able to share in a way that it makes them curious. And then be able to, you know, ask questions like, are you really fulfilled? Are you happy? Deep inside, do you feel like there's a thirst that needs to be quenched? Then start a spiritual conversation. All right, third, I'm going to have to move on here. <laughs> um, he appeals to a guilty conscience. Starting at verse 16, he told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you've had five husbands, and the man you now have it is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Uh, yeah, you think? <laughs> as, as, he, as he shares the truth with her. <laughs> and then he says a powerful statement. He says, go call your husband. Go get your husband. And suddenly, she sees. I mean, it sounds kind of cruel in some ways. You know, he lays it out there. Why did he do that? Why did he just lay it out there and then say, go, go get your husband? Because, man, she needed to see her need. She needed to come to grips instead of just always attacking other people because she's hurt. She needs to see that she can be healed. And that big question is, will you let God heal you? Whatever it is, whatever this stuff is that continues to torment you, God wants to bring healing. And he wanted her to see that healing was available. And so he spoke to her. And unless we're really thirsty, we can't have our... And know we're thirsty, we can't really have that thirst quenched. You know, that's what he's talking about. And You know, so often in this culture we live in, Oh, you're such a nice person. You're such a good person. It's not your fault. It's this group's fault or this person's fault. Or you've been oppressed and you've been tormented. What's the truth? You see, Jesus said, you need to come clean. You need to talk to me. And you need to get it right and let me heal you. But that only comes when you are willing to say, I'm wrong. I need to be healed. She's broken and she has an opportunity to be healed. And we know as the story goes on, it's great. She goes and she talks to people not too far away from her. And as she goes in the town, she says, could this guy be the Christ? Man, she has changed and she is on fire. She drinks and she believes. We need to have that kind of encounter, don't we? 
God, help me. I've been a Christian so long, I don't even remember what it's like to not be a Christian. Well, maybe we need to stop and remember. Remember why he died on the cross. Remember why at one point we realized we needed to put our confidence, our faith, our belief in him that we might receive the grace and the forgiveness of God. Maybe we have forgotten all of that, but in that case, we need to be reminded. The truth needs to be made clear to us. Once again, J.C. Ryle, the bishop of Liverpool, once said, The highest form of selfishness is a man content to go to heaven alone. Man, we need, we need to remember that that person out there who's broken and maybe hard to get along with, there's a reason for all of that, and God wants to heal. God wants to move. Let me close with the, the story. Fritz Kreisler was a renowned violinist from Germany. Whenever he would play somewhere, he drew large crowds. He also loved to give away his money. And he really didn't have much left because he was so generous. And he found this violin he desperately wanted. But he didn't have the money to buy it. And so he, be, he began raising funds in order to purchase this precious violin. By the time he got the money together and went to buy the violin, he discovered that the violin had been sold to a collector. So he went to the collector and he said, I have the money, I want to buy this violin from you. And he said, oh, this is precious to me. It is one of the treasures in my collection of instruments. I can't let go of this. I can't sell this to you. And Fritz said, uh, you realize that you are taking this beautiful violin and it's going to be silent. No one will hear it. He goes, well, I just can't part with it. So Fritz began to walk away, and then he turned back around. He said, okay. He said, but before I leave, will you let me play it one time for you? He goes, okay. So he picks up the violin, and he plays, and it brings tears to this man. And he's just overwhelmed as he hears him play the instrument. And he said, I have no right to keep that to myself. It's yours. Mr. Chrysler, you can have it. And then he said, take it into the world and let people hear about it. Guys, that's the good news. How are people going to hear if we don't say it? Let's pray. Lord, uh, we are grateful that Jesus loves everybody. And we are in that everybody Father, remind us what it's like not to have Jesus. Open our hearts. Move us, Lord, to see people and to love people and to be lingering with them, Lord. Just be there. And Lord, just love them. They take time, but that's okay. You took time to reach us, and so may we take time. And Father, I, I just pray that you do a work in us. Father, you want to glorify yourself in our lives. Father, maybe someone's here that has never made that decision to trust you, to find love and forgiveness. It's available. That thirst can be quenched. That hole can be filled. And Father, um, I just pray if someone here is in need of healing, they would let you heal them this morning. 
through the gospel to the end, to just say, Lord, forgive me. I place my faith in Jesus Christ, who without sin became sin for me on the cross. And then raised from the dead, gave full evidence of who he is, the living God. And I want to trust in you. I want that forgiveness. Father, you want to hear. I pray in your hearing that that need would come to you and let the great physician do his work. Father, for those of us who have wandered away, Father, like that sheep that wandered away, Father, bring, bring them back. Pray you'd bring that one back today. They may be listening, but they're here in person or online. God, to just come to you because, Lord, your word says that what is needed. So, Father, we just turn to you and have your way with us this morning in our time we call invitation or response. And, Lord, it's to you. So speak, O oh God, and may we listen and respond. In Christ's name.